Freebird, the Ashley Freeman story, is a Thirsty Goat original podcast. This is episode four of a multi-part story. We encourage you to go back and start episode one, Childhood, before listening to this episode. Eminem's song Darkness puts into perspective the feelings that addicts have going through the cycle of sobriety and addiction. The lyrics say, Here I am, alone again, can't get out of this hole I'm in. It's like the walls are closing in. You can't help me, no one can. I can feel these curtains closing. I gotta open them. But something pulls them closed again. Hello darkness, my old friend. During this episode, Ashley discusses another try at rehab after a stay at the Indiana Women's Prison. She discusses how many addicts put reservations on their sobriety, meaning they will stay clean unless something happens. This is the cycle of addicts keeping one foot in the addiction and not being able to break free. Ashley discusses after a handful more arrests, her being sent to the RAP program in Bartholomew County and how this different program of recovery affected her. Addiction can capture anyone without warning, and the depression and regret that comes along with the addiction only powers the addiction more. If you or someone you love is struggling with addiction, please reach out to 1-800-662-HELP. That's 1-800-662-4357 for information on facilities and possible services. Addiction is real, but it doesn't have to be the period to your life. This story of addiction and overcoming the shackles and chains it places on you is my friend Ashley's. We hope you enjoy. Previously on Freebird, Ashley returns home from Pensacola with her mind focused on joining the Army. Ashley ends up arrested after her and her boyfriend are caught forging prescriptions. This is the beginning of Ashley's cycle between rehabilitation centers and lockup. Episode 3 ended with Ashley in lockup at Rockville Women's Prison and then returning home to Mitchell, Indiana. Freebird, Episode 4, Darkness. got my son my mom and her husband had split up so it's just my mom and my son and my brother um and I hooked back up with my boyfriend that I had gotten trouble with the guy that I got in trouble with um and I started failing drug screens again um, kept using and I my parole officer at the time was Marianna Moore who runs this here now she helps run it JJCC um, and she was just one of the most caring people um one of those people you could just be completely honest with, completely real with. At first, I didn't see that, though. You know, um, 
when I had failed the drug screen that led me to the violation that led me to prison, um, I was honest with my probation officer and she told me she wasn't going to violate me. And then she did. And then she sent me to prison. So I was not trying to trust anybody in authority, you know. Um, Rejection again. Yes. Yes. So um, I had to learn the hard way a little bit with Mariana. You know, when I screwed up, she was just trying to help me. You know, she was trying to find me. She was trying to make sure I was okay. And I ran from her, you know. Um, there was one, I was working at Subway when I got out in Bedford. Um, there was one night when I got high at work and I left and, um, Marianna was literally at my mom's house looking for me, just sitting there. Um, and I shut my phone off. I was terrified to go home cause I thought she was taking me back to jail. You know, um, she didn't, she just wanted to make sure I was okay. So... Um, she was like, do you need rehab? Do you need something? And I'm like, no, I'm fine. No, I'm fine. You know? So we went through that a few more times and she, um, I was doing heroin then and, um, I kept going to work high, you know? Um, because at the time, I mean, you can get out and you come back to the same place. We had Facebook. We had social media. You know, my friends found me, you know. Um, and if it wasn't, hey, I got this, it was, do you have this, you know. They all knew where I lived. They all knew where my mom lived, you know. And it wasn't, it was just, it was always there. Um, so I finally, Mariana says, get your shit, you're going to rehab. And... I got my shit somewhat together and stayed out all night the night before. And um, she was going to take me to rehab the next day. And my mom told me to get up. She was going to work. And I didn't hear her. Um, so I woke up to Marianna and one of the sheriffs in my living room. And they're like, you're not going to rehab. You're going to jail. We're done. So got all my stuff together, all my whites, you know, begged Marianna to let me bring them. And she took me to jail, and she said, I'm taking you back to DOC. This is your parole violation. And um, she's like, you're going to go to maximum security this time, which Rockville was, but IWP was a little bit harder. Um, they're both high levels. You know, when you get in trouble at one prison – or, um, in her case, IWP was closer, so, um, she took me there. So, I sat out parole time, which was a few months at the time, and they released me again. When did, when did your, when did your habit switch from meth to heroin? Or was it always just whatever you could get your hands on? So I think that it was always, I always liked opiates because to me, opiates were just that escape, you know, that happy, everything's okay, you're floating on a pink cloud, you know. Um, so those, meth and Xanax were like my combination, 
you felt any kind of way, one or the other would have fixed them, you know. So um, those were just kind of my go-tos. So you're, you're now at IWP. Mm-hmm. What, what's the world around you outside of IWP look like at this point in time? What, what is going on as time passes? How old is your son now? Where are we at in those stages? So it was 2009. Um, so my son was four. He was born in 2005. And my mom was so mad at me that she wouldn't talk to me the whole time I was there. Um, She wouldn't put money on my books, you know, wouldn't help me, um, wouldn't write me, wouldn't answer the phone. Uh, And I wasn't mad at her. You know, I just, I understood. We've talked a lot about rejection. Mm -hmm. Is that the first rejection that you truly owned? That I understand when you say I understand why she's not. Is that the first time that you really had a rejection that you didn't look for blame other people or or move away from it? Is that the first time you feel like you owned a rejection? Like I get why my mom is not willing to. Yeah, I really think it was. And that had to be as difficult as that was for you. That had to be absolute hell for your mom. Because like we said earlier, your biggest fan, your biggest supporter is your mother. And she loves you beyond measure. So for her to be tough enough to say, I'm truly not helping you, had to be hell. Well, she would tell me she was done. She would say, I'm done. And... There's so much fear attached to that statement. You know, she says that, and you're like, what about my son? What about this? What about that? You know, um, because before my son was born, you know, you can say I'm done, but it it just doesn't, you know, it's different. It's totally different. Um, Because I think, aside from rejection, probably the biggest fear I had was just complete failure, you know. And I used to say that that was, like, after being around some of those women and seeing how they still got up every day knowing that they were not, they weren't going to see the outside again. They still got up, they still put their makeup on, they still did their job, they still made their bed. And you're like, what keeps these people going? I think that aside from ultimate rejection, my biggest fear was being in a situation like that, helpless, knowing you're not ever going to get out, and you have to live your whole life with regrets. And your family has to, your kids have to grow up without you. And your family has to just accept that you're never going to be there. That was ultimate failure for you. Yeah. My mom was mad at me. She was not helping me. She was not answering the phone. She was mad. Um, I was there for two or three months. 
and I ended up going to, my parole officer took me to the recovery house when I was done. So um, I went there and tried it again, tried sobriety again. Um, I was kind of forced, but, I, you know, I still wanted to try. Um, ended up trying to stay in Bloomington at that point. Um, and not right away, but eventually I got back to, um, you know, it might be different people, but you still attract the same people when you're still broken inside. So that's something you said last time is we attract the mirror image of ourselves wherever we are in that stage in life. Yes. Um, it's so, so true. Because there's comfort in knowing that that person feels just like I do. Yeah. But you're so right. It, it, it's You find that mirror image. That's why it's so important to surround yourself with people who are on the same path as you, who have the same ideas and goals and motivations. Sometimes you have to hang out with people who are where you want to be five years from now to figure it out, you know, because eventually that's where you'll be. I didn't understand that when I was younger. I understand that today. All these times that you had, whether you went to rehab or you tried it on your own to find sobriety, Talk me through when you start, you make that decision that I'm not, I'm, I'm going back. I'm going to do this again. What, what is that thought process? It wasn't. Um, it is more like a, you find yourself, I mean, you find yourself surrounded like at every stage um, I remember for a while, it wasn't a question. I did not, um, I did not want to give up drugs. I didn't want to give up substances. Um, when I would go through a class or a rehab or any kind of period of sobriety and it was forced, I felt like there's no way. I'm not, I can do this for a little while. I'm not doing it forever. I'm not going to do it. I can't. I don't want to. And that was the bottom line. I did not want to. So even after you had gone through sobriety in your head, you were, you talked about this last time, one of the first times you ended up in rehab, and you talked about how you listened to all these people speak, and you thought, oh, man, they've got it all figured out. And then you realize they're full of shit. Yeah. For lack of a better way, you were that person. Outwardly, when you talk to people, sober life, I'm sober. But inside, you knew. They call them reservations. Um, you know, if this happens, I'll use. If this happens, I get through probation. If somebody dies, um, you know, natural disaster, anything, you can use anything as a reservation. You know, I can stay, so I can stay sober. I can do this as long as... Um, and you and, build up so many of them, you're going to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're, you will go where your mind, you'll follow your mind, you know. Um, 
if your thoughts are there, you're going to go back there. It, in whatever way it happens, that's just how it's going to happen. So when you start falling back in with those, those people, and even like you just said, when you were in Bloomington, it may be a, a different crowd, but it's the same crowd. Mm-hmm. Do they know you're sober or do you just not even bring that up with them? So this particular time, um, I had gotten out of prison, went to the recovery house. And the recovery house, um, I'll explain it real quick, is like a two, it was like a two-week program. And people were forced into it. There weren't very many people there willingly. So what people did was, you know, get everybody else's numbers and, hey, let's go hang out and, hey, let's do this and, um you know, you find a new little tribe of people, and before you know it, you know, whether it's your intention or not, you're in the middle of a bunch of other people's shit, too, you know. It just puts you right back in with the – it almost – for lack of a better way, it threw you right back in with a group of the same stuff. Yeah. You know, and it's interesting, and this is this is kind of off subject, but I would be really interested in your point with it. So much of what we try to do in rehab, and you would know much better than me even, but we don't do a ton of what you just talked about earlier is putting people with, at times we do, but don't do a ton of putting people with people they want to be in five years. You know, do you think that is part of why the recovery and rehab fails? I think, I think it definitely has something to do with it. Um, I know that, you know, in your average rehab center facility, this, you know, they have the intentions on helping people. There is no perfect plan. Mm -hmm. You know, um, and there's people who just have good intentions trying to help. Um, there are just people that understand that, you know, that this is just part of life. I remember a long time ago, my stepdad telling me that, show me your friends. I'll show you where you're going to be in five years. Back then I didn't, I didn't grasp it. I thought he was just, you know talking to my friends like I didn't realize the importance of it I think it definitely could help people because you know in any place you get in there and you've got a bunch of broken people and you have people coming off of everything coming from loss and all these different places in life and you put them with other people like that for programming for anything and that's what they do they cling to each other and then they create new problems with different faces and different, you know, names and titles, and it just keeps going. So we're back in Bloomington. We've fallen back into a group. Where does your story go from there? So I got in more trouble in Bloomington, Um Over the next few years, I believe it was um, an OWI, a theft, 
um, some like a check on a financial institution. Um, but Bloomington has resources that some counties don't. And at the time, they had um, partnered with Bartholomew County. And there was a program in Bartholomew County called RAP, uh, W-R-A-P, Women Recovering with a Purpose. And you had to be sentenced out of Monroe County or Bartholomew to get it. It was... Um, Four months in work release in Bartholomew County and eight months house arrest, wherever. So, um, I eventually get taken to this program out of Monroe County, and it was one of the best things that had ever happened to me. It was a great program. Um, there were several girls in there. It was all women. Um, and they had a, a little bit of a different approach to treatment. Let me back up. When I was in um, Bloomington and I had got out of prison, um, one of the people that I hooked up with was my daughter's dad. So I get pregnant with my daughter in Bloomington. Um, she's 12 today. She's almost 13. So, um, you know, this intensifies that need to change everything and to change it now. Um, but that also brings me back to, um, you can't change things. You can't change anything for anybody other than yourself. It just will not work. So now I'm in Bartholomew County, and um, we had a great support team there. And it was really a pretty cool place. Um, one of the requirements there was that we write our life story. And we had to write everything, um, everything. The, our counselors worked with us individually. We could not leave anything out. Then we had to write it on a piece of paper. It was huge. Um, mine would have gone the span of that wall right there. And, uh, God, it was hard. It was so hard to write. And it was even harder to read. We had to stand up in front of each other one by one and all the counselors, and we had to tell our deepest, darkest secrets. We had to tell everything. Um, How scary was it when you stood in the front of that room of counselors and, and other women and worried that as you tell your secrets, tell your story, you're going to be rejected again? I 
I mean, it was scary. Um, I didn't like to talk in front of people yet. Um, I wasn't comfortable with it. We had to stand. Um, everybody stops and stares at you, and you have a... I believe it was five to seven minutes that we had to be up there talking. We couldn't rush it. So, yeah, that it, it was terrifying. Um... But when it's over and you get through it and you look around the room and you see all these grown women crying with you for you and they get up and they hug you and they completely accept you. And it wasn't just me. Every single one of us had to do this. And I'm not comparing myself to anybody, but to hear some of what these other women went through and they still get up with a smile and me being, it gave me a new perspective on it too, because there were things that me, even being, um, you know, an addict like everybody else, there's some things that I used to kind of judge in other people. You know, I, I can't understand how she would do this, or I can't understand, you know, um, and you see it and you hear your friends and you see how hard it is for them to do this and how much they hate themselves for what they've done. And you can accept them and love them after that. That heals both of you. And it changes your perspective on people. It, it's amazing. And, you know, we talked earlier about how so many people don't want to have, don't want to try and understand other people. But I can tell you that when I left here the last time we recorded and got back home, I was so excited, so filled up, so proud of you. Um, like my wife and I ended up standing in our garage till probably 11 o'clock just talking, like just because I, you know, I would just bounce around. I'm like, it just, she's she's doing so well and she's got this. And like, I think what you just said is so powerful because I know that, that this is, it's going to help you get your story out. But me understanding your story helps me. And that's selfish to say it that way. Um, I hate saying it that way, but it does because there is always that level of, I don't know if I would ever say that I judged you. I don't think I ever, I, I don't ever remember a time that I sat around. I, I, I that's just not me. Um, I'm sure that there were times that I felt sorry for you. Um, I'm sure there were times that I was mad at you. Um, But a lot of that was I didn't understand. So the the idea of being able to sit down and truly understand you, um, I think is powerful. And I think that's what you're talking about during that stay at the rap program. Like you finally could understand other people and where they were, where they were. It wasn't a surface. 
And we talked about earlier how you find something in common with everybody. It wasn't something on the surface. It was a real connection because you understood why they were making those decisions. Yeah. And not just that, but in kind of what I went, when I explained about DOC and going in there and being surrounded by all these women who are in there, um, you know, for these really big charges and all these, you know, just on paper, they look horrible. But then you hear their stories and you realize that it could have been you. I mean, little turn of events, small changes, it could have been you standing right there. If you like what you've heard so far from Freebird, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This helps us greatly move up the charts. Also, if you want to support the work we do, please head over to our Patreon account. For $10 a month, you can not only get early access to all the episodes, behind-the-scenes content. You can also support the work that we're doing with Freebird to help support those winning the battle against addiction. Check out our theme song by Boogus, Freebird, available wherever you get your music. Still, now you're close to the Lucifer. Got a Colt 45 trying to loosen up. Got a buzz online trying to boost it up. Got a dad and a mom trying to make him proud. Got a bag and a bong trying to bake a pound. I'ma up my Annie, touch my Grammy, go my family down to Miami. No, they can't control my visa. My world, I roam like Caesar. My song, my girl, my diva. Good drink, my good sativa. God knows I'm far from lousy. Lord knows I'm smoking loudly. Hot box, I'm riding cloudy. Eyes drop like Ronda Rousey. I'ma use the two legs that God gave me Go so long, bitch, I'm Tom Brady I go Kobe, drop about 80 Then I roll out in a drop top, baby 285, I do about 80 Push to the limit when I get in it I don't get high till my third blunt finish When I can't deal with the weight and the pain of the world I write my pain and I sing for the world Came from afar, ain't came for the fame But I came for the change I could bring to the world When I can't deal with the weight of the world I write my pain, I sing for the world Came from afar, ain't came for the fame But I came for the change I could bring to the world I go And I'ma see Arizona I'm in Georgia Sun is shining in Florida I'm a free bird Smoking on California